0: Awesome. Well, listen, it's really good to be with you, as I said earlier. Um, Just excited about what God is doing and excited about your lives. I'm, I'm so happy to be able to speak into the church, but then it's also an honor to be able to speak into the leadership of the church and those that have been entrusted more. James speaks about those who have been entrusted more have a greater responsibility with their tongues and their lives and who they are. So We as leaders, we have a greater responsibility to do things right and act right. And we're just going to go through some things. What I want to do is in the breakout sessions, I want to really speak more from my heart to each one of you. I want it to be more interactive. I want to hear from you. I want to hear your feedback. we 're going to take some questions, just everything again. I don 't have all the answers, but maybe together, and we can at least go to the one who does, and we can talk through some things and we 're just here to try and assist and help you in any way we can we 've learned a lot. We are now in our 11th year as a church. As I said last night, my family's just celebrated 50 years of ministry. I'm 42 years of age. I've been in church all my life. No joke. All my life. My first memories of church is waking up under the pews, seeing feet dancing in church. That's my life. That's all I've ever known. And I thank God for that. I used to think I didn't have a testimony because all I knew was church life. It's the greatest testimony because God spared me from all those things. And I don't have to be a part of those to be able to tell people that Jesus is the way. I like what someone once said uh, many years ago. Felipe was at the youth camp. I think Daniel was at the youth camp too. Someone said, even if someone came out and proved the fact that Jesus never lived, that he was a farce, he was a fake, he was never true, it wouldn't change the way I live my life because there's no greater peace that I can have through the life I live. There's no greater joy that I have. But God is real and he is truth. And that's why we've got to do everything that we can just to live that and to be that. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, be with us today. God, just anoint us. God, we don't sit here in a position of pride. We don't sit here elevated today and say, look at us. We're leaders. But we sit here today with a greater mandate on our life, with a greater responsibility, that which we don't want to take lightly. But, God, we want to be used totally by you. We want to be transparent, available, willing, yielded to you, that, God, we would see great results and we would see you do the miraculous supernatural. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here's what I want to ask you all today, because we've got the tendency, I don't know how you do things in your church, but what we have is we have people who are on a welcome team, they have a welcome badge that symbolizes who they are. Some people have said, well, you know what, I think it would be good that the leaders had a badge that said, I'm a leader, but then it kind of gets crazy because everyone's got a badge, and what are you, and who are you? And here's what I said to them all, a leader should not need a badge because they should carry themselves like a leader. They should carry themselves like a leader. So here's the question I want to ask you today, and I want you to help me. That's why I've got this whiteboard here for those of you who are listening. You're just going to have to imagine it and play along, and you're not missing much because my handwriting and spelling is atrocious, so they're not missing anything on tape. But here's the question I want to ask each one of us. What does it mean to carry yourself as a leader? Who wants to shout out some things? What do you think needs to be in our lives if we're going to carry ourselves as a leader? Pastor? Integrity. Good. Hold on. Can't go too quick. <laughs> integrity? Humility? Yes. Let's see. Okay, talk about integrity, Pastor. Tell us about what's the importance of integrity.
1: I've always defined integrity in very simple terms, doing the right thing when no one's looking. Cool. And having the lifestyle that backs up what we talk. Walking the walk basically. Cool.
0: Awesome. Who said about
2: humility? Um, I believe that humility and leadership is important because if you're all about me, then what are you leading? Yourself.
0: Who else has got something? Self-control. Talk to us about that.
3: Um, I just think that um, all day long, you have so many things coming at you, so many different needs, and um, you have to decide on a day-to-day basis Either all of these things that are happening are going to control me, or and, and I'm going to be reactive, or I'm going to be in control of how I choose to respond by being proactive. Awesome.
0: Fantastic.
1: Fantastic. Get some Qu- quiet strength. Uh, quiet strength.
0: Cool. Could we say meekness? Meekness, yes. Yep. Yep. Um, meekness is what I call control strength.
1: Right. We, we don't need to be with the microphone all the time. We should just be walking with all of this, integrity, humility, self-control, and we shouldn't have to say it. We shouldn't have to say any of this stuff that I'm humble. We shouldn't have to say it. We should, we should, just, we should just walk the way we walk, the way we live our lives. We should be available as well, you know, to, 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 so somebody can come and talk to us, to feel comfortable to come and talk to us, that quiet strength where somebody says, you know what, that guy has something or that woman has something that can help me.
0: Anyone else got anything they want to throw out there? Anyone else got good patience come on talk to us about what patience looks like
1: as a leader, the ability to um understand that everybody might not learn at your pace good. and to um not cancel that person out as a- as a person with potential and um to just see them through like you were kind of talking about
0: earlier uh teaching before um Don't blame him, training. correct. Right. Awesome. Jesus had such patience, didn't he, with disciples and people that he handpicked, but they didn't get it all the time. And um, how do you spell patience? P-A-T-I-E-N-C. Is that right? If it's not, then it's close enough. We know what it is. It's my world. It's my class. I can just do whatever I want. Just keep your eyes closed, sweetheart. That's not how you spell patience. Okay, anything else? Yes.
3: Christianese, but like the Christ mindedness, where um, you know, and I know it's kind of corny, but that whole asking yourself, "What what would Jesus do? How would He behave in this situation? What would be His response? His response should be my response." Cool.
0: And hey, it's not been like thrown out there. This super, it's very important to have the mind of Christ. The Bible says, "Let this mind be in you." that was in Christ. What was his mind? He was humble. It said he didn't take on an elevated position. He came lonely. He lowly. He came in love. And that's the mind that needs to be in us because if that mind is in us, then it's in our heart because as a man thinks in his heart, so he becomes. It's a thinking connected through doing through the heart, so it's important. You had something you wanted to say?
3: You always have to operate in love. There's a lot of people that can't come through those doors that have never felt love, that need to feel love, and some of them will reject your love, but you always have to be there with
0: that love. Cool, awesome. Anyone else got anything else? Talk to us about that. I think,
1: uh, I think a good leader has to listen. A lot of uh, leaders that I've seen are always quick to talk and quick to speak and not really listen to the entire situation or entire problem before they actually analyze it and give advice. That's one thing we learned from Pastor, that he always listens before he speaks.
0: Cool. Cool. And hey, here's what we've got to differentiate to. There's the difference between hearing and listening. Yeah. I can hear what you're saying, yeah, but to listen is to really understand what you're saying. And a lot of times, come on, let's be honest, in marriage, we've got to watch this. We hear our spouse, but we don't listen to our spouse. Uh, and we've just got to be honest with that. There's a big difference. Uh, and we can echo back. You know, I know Kelly said, You're not listening to us. I said, oh, yeah, you just said da 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 da. But I'm not really listening. Not really listening. And if you notice the ratio two to one, two ears to one mouth, twice as much listening, twice as much hearing to that which we need to do speaking. And um, so we just need to be that. Really good. Anyone else got anything else? Yeah, go ahead.
1: This Good. You just said you, you have to. You know, discern the motives of people, you know, are they trying to pull you down or are they trying to or are they just um, calling out because every single part of their life, you know, they want to call out because they stubbed their toe because you, you have to have discernment of what people's motives are.
0: Awesome. Fantastic. Really great things. Okay. So integrity, humility, self-control, meekness, a controlled strength, patience, being Christ minded, having the love of Christ, being a good listener having discernment in our lives, phenomenal, phenomenal things that we need to have in each one of our lives. And it's so important that we not only have these, but we have everything that God wants to do and God wants to bring into our lives so we can carry ourselves as a leader. Because we don't want just people to say, oh, there's a leader. We want people to say, I see them as a leader in a crowd without you even pointing them out to me. And that's what we've got to get. So, what I want to give you, I want to give you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight eyes. Eight eyes of what I think it is to carry yourself as a leader. Okay? Eight eyes to carry yourself as a leader. You ready? Number one insight. Insight. To have insight. What does it mean to have insight? Here's what I think insight means. Are you ready? To see things before they become issues. Having an insight just to begin to see that, man, there could be a problem there with that. So what did I do? Because I've got insight, I fix that before it becomes a problem. I don't wait for the parking lot to be full before I instruct people to move their cars in double parks so we're creating more space. That's having insight. That's right. I, I don't wait for someone, if I see a child that's kind of acting up, then I go and say, hey, we've got a cry room, we've got an area prepared. We don't have to wait till that child is blood-curdling, screaming, and being obnoxious for them to know that we have a nursery, we can take care of you. It's just having an insight. And I think as a leader, it's so important that we have that. Learn to read people, which, which comes with the discernment too, and also listening to people. But not only learning to read people, but learning to read situations. That should distinguish us. Because in an in a issue, in a problem, in a need, people are going to look to who? They're going to look to us. And then if we're looking around saying, hey, what do we do? It's not good. We've got to have insight so we can be in a position to lead, to take matters into our hands. To be effective with that. Is that cool? Second eye is this. We've got to have investment. Investment. Investment equals spending time with people. Jesus spent time with people all the time. He oftentimes didn't distance himself from the crowds. He was with the people. He was around the people. Now, Jesus knew when he needed to invest in his own life and he found a time to pray. We need to have that time where we're investing into our lives because you can only give out what you have in. If you haven't been to the gas pump lately, you're going to be stranded on the side of the road because your car's not going to run on fumes. It's not even going to run on faith. God, I'm going to get to that. Your car runs on fuel, not faith. It runs on fuel. You have to go to the pump. You have to pay some money, slide that card. You have to put it in your car. You have to make that investment because if you don't, you're going to burn out and you're not going to make it. We've got to make an investment, yes, in our lives, but we've got to make investment with other people. We've got to show them that we care. Someone in the church can walk past someone else and not really impact their world, but as a leader, we can't. We can't afford, we can't stop it, everyone, but whatever we do, we make an investment. Hey, how you doing? Great to see you. I'd love to talk to you this week. You're making investments in people. You're carrying yourself. You're showing people that they matter, that they care. Remember last time we said, people aren't going to care how much you know if they don't know how much you care. So, so you make that investment in people. Sometimes people are a tough work. Pastor Philippa and I were talking about just things last night, just bouncing some thoughts back of the table last night. You know, there's some people who are high maintenance, but yet they're high yield. It means they're a lot of work, but they're producing a lot. When they're high work and they're producing a lot, guess what? They're a worthy investment. Even though they take more of your energies and more of your times, you maybe need to stroke them a few more times than someone else and give them an boy and pat them. But if they're doing a high job and they're producing, you can handle that. But if they're high maintenance and low yield, your best investment is not always going out of your way and them managing all of your time. Your best investment many times is to turn around and say sorry. You know, we can't keep doing things like this. We're going to have to make some changes because if you're not producing the goods, then I've got to have someone put in there or someone to cover that is. Because we love you and we think you're great, but you can't govern and take all my time. Do you see what I'm saying? So we invest in people, but we have wisdom in that investment.
1: But what if you see um, something in that person? They're not producing yet, but you see something. God tells you, this person, you see that something in someone. Um how much time do you take? Like, what, 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 what would you say the cutoff is to say, you know what, you're just not getting it, you're just not listening, and, you know. Well, I, I
0: think there's never a cutoff. It's not like you write anyone off, but you limit your time with them. If they're, if they're a sponge and they're drawing and they want to learn, you give them as much as they can, but part of your learning and teaching needs to be for them to find their own feet and do themselves. If you're just enabling them just to do nothing, if you're enabling them, it's like a book I read once about some parents who had some kids who were drop beats. They didn't want to work. They didn't want to do anything. They happened to live next door to the parents. Well, it just so happened that there was no fence between the yards. So when the neighbor, when the parents turned on their sprinkler system, it watered their children's grass. So guess what? They didn't have to do anything because their grass was watered. When the dad was in the yard cutting his grass, it was just as easy just to go on. There was no fence. So he just went and... But what you're doing is, you, you you're handicapping them. You're enabling them. You're not helping them. You're enabling them to be in a crippled state. And Elijah said to the people, "Remember, how long are you going to falter between two opinions?" That thought is this: How long are you going to be handicapped, either God's God or He's not? And I think so many times we can handicap people by it being the God for their lives or not, and trying to be that support and that help for them. So we never cut people off, but what we say is this: "I'm going this way," and if you're not going to. Come with me. I've got to limit my time. Because if you're constantly here, then you can't be over there. And the whole idea is this. When leadership, we're taking people with us. You see that? The whole idea is we're taking people with us. And if we're stopping and we're chatting and we're talking, guess what? We're, we're not getting where we need to be. So leadership is gathering people around. When Jesus, he went from village to village to village, he never stopped in one place because he was constantly moving. That's what we need to be doing. We're moving. Come on, in business, they say, if you stand still, you're falling behind. In church, we can't. So a good question. We don't cut people off, but we train people to know. And if they're not going to come, then we limit our time and we start being truthful with them and say, listen, I believe in you, but you've got to start believing in yourself. And I can't help you if you're not going to start doing for yourself and you're going to have to start. And sometimes we have to get stern with people and sometimes the toughest love or love is tough love. And we have to say, hey, you need to shape up. You've got potential. But you know what? There's a lot of people who had the potential of Michael Jordan, but there's only one Michael Jordan that got on the court and did it. You can have all the potential you want, but if you're not putting that to action in your life, then you're wasting your time. So again, having the discernment of God, you never cut someone off and say, I'm done with you. But you're trying to teach them to, to be on their own feet. The worst thing we can do in leadership, is have insecurities. That's not an eye of leadership that we're talking about, but that's a big one, that we can many times through our insecurities breed insecurity in other people. And what happens is this, because we're needy, we can create the people around us to be needy. And we've got to watch that we don't defer our insecurities upon other people. That is so powerful. And really, that can be a ninth thing right there. Throw that in insecurities. So if we're going to carry ourselves like a leader, we all have insecurities, I don't care how we mask them, how we present them. We all have insecurities. We just learn to conquer them instead of them conquering us. But we've got to watch. and carrying ourselves as a leader, we cannot allow ourselves to be insecure because insecurity is going to breed the same thing. You're only going to produce, the Bible says, after your own kind. So we've got to watch. We're, well, I'm training people up around me, Josh and different people. I'm training people up around me to go further than I have. I'm training people that can take our church further than I can take it. I want to invest into people because these young minds and these young people, they've got far superior minds to us. I'm not insecure by a pastor that's come in, church, in town. He's starting a new church. In fact, we're starting a and We've got some new pastors that have come in town. They're getting ready to launch some churches and some movie theaters not far from our church. We're having lunch with them. We're sitting down with them once a month and saying, how can we help you? How can we resource you? because I'm not insecure with the fact you may lose some people from your church. All we can do is this. We can just grow green grass and we can just have fresh water, but it's God that said, I'll build my church. We have to have that need there. But I can't be insecure and say, man, but what if people go to that church? What are we about building, our church or the kingdom? And insecurities will always build your own agenda instead of the agenda of God. So we've got to watch for insecurities in our life. Number four, is that right now? Number four, we added one? Well, number three was insecurities. You're not paying attention. We added that one in. But if you were secure, you would have noticed that. It's just your insecurities that's playing. So number four, you ready? Intercession. Intercession. If I'm going to carry myself like a leader, I've got to have intercession in my life. What does that mean? I've got to have a prayer life. I've got to have a prayer life with God. We just did a whole series A few months ago on prayer and I really would encourage you not trying to steal your way. We've got podcasts, our website. I would really encourage you to listen through that message because I want to tell you that that it changed our church and it changed me more than anything else was that series. on It's hflc.us, Church.us, and it changed my prayer life. I've got to admit to you, one of the biggest struggles I had in ministry, in life, was my prayer life. And it wasn't because I didn't pray. I do pray, but I struggled because my method of praying is different to so many other people. I look at other people who can pray for two, three hours, and I envy them that they can do that. I realize this, I'm not wired for that. If I'm going to try and pray for two, three hours, I'm sleeping, my mind's everywhere, I'm lethargic. When I go to pray, I have to take a notepad or something because my mind goes crazy and everything I have to do comes into mind. So I have to write down so I can get back to prayer. I do that. I'm just not wired to be an intercessor in that way where I can sit and pray for hours. But you know what I've discovered? I've discovered this, that there's very seldom an hour that goes by that I don't pray. And i found that when the disciples came to Jesus, they said these words, teach us how to pray. And when they asked teach us how to pray, they were saying this, teach me how to pray because my way of praying may be different to the next person. Give me my personal prayer language. And I think we've got to find that sweet spot in prayer that works for us. No, I'm not using that as an excuse that we shouldn't pray for one and two hours because if that's what you can do, great. I'm not saying that, oh, but you've got to find that place. I believe we need to pray continually through the day. I believe that we need to learn. And it really changed a lot of people in church because I maybe can't do it for hours at a time, but there's not an hour goes by that I don't pray. And we can pray with our eyes open too. It's amazing. We don't have to be on our knees with our hands clenched. We can pray while we're driving. In fact, I've made my car a sanctuary. I'm in my car a long time. Okay? I'm in my car a lot. I had a wreck in my car a few um, about six weeks ago. I'm still in a rental car. In the rental car, it's got a timer that when I reset the mileage, when I got the car, it's got a timer. I am blown away at how much time I spend in my car. It's unbelievable. I got a car on a Thursday afternoon, and by the Tuesday morning, I'd been in that car 18 and a half hours, from a Thursday to a Tuesday. I was blown away that I spent that much time. But you know what I've done? I've made that car my sanctuary. I've got podcasts that I listen to. Uh, I I sometimes take my calls in the car. Why? Because I get out of the office quicker so I can be with my family. I use my time wisely, but it's also become a place of prayer for me just to focus in on God and just to love God. So you've got to, as a leader, you've got to have a strong prayer life. Jesus says, in everything with prayer. Come on, in everything with prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. If Jesus said, in everything with prayer, now you may say, no, it wasn't Jesus that said that, it was Paul who inspired Paul to write those words. It was Jesus, in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known, and then the peace of God comes. But where does it start? In prayer. So if I'm going to carry myself as a leader, I've got to be prayed up. Prayer doesn't start when I hit the property. If I'm having to pray when I get here to the property, I'm already too late. My prayer has to be before I hit this property so I'm prepared as soon as I hit here. Because when I hit here, my responsibility as a leader is like to have a jug of water. And what I'm doing is I'm going around everyone and filling up everyone's glasses. Okay, If I'm coming to the church and saying, fill me, fill me, fill me, I haven't prayed up, I haven't studied, I haven't interceded, I haven't got alone with God. My responsibility when I hit this place is I'm giving out all the time. Come on! I'm a waiter. I'm a waitress. I'm filling up. And you know what a good waiter and waitress does? They make sure that your glass never goes full, it never goes empty. Rather, it's always full. And that's our responsibility to give out. So if we're going to give out, we've got to get in. Intercession, our communication, our talk with God, is that which builds our life and helps us. Is that cool? Are you ready number five. Initiative. Have an initiative. Have an initi- You know, there's something about initiative, unfortunately, it's hard to teach. People either have it or not. And I would say that the reason you are in this room is because you have initiative, because that's really what distinguishes leaders above everything else, is have an initiative. I look at some people and say, how did they not see that that needs to be done? But they don't see it. I don't understand it, but they don't see it. They don't have initiative. A lot of the generations that we have today, and we can't just say you either have it or you don't. I believe there are tendencies. But you can also help develop that, and you can help build that. Unfortunately, the generations that we're raising today have very little initiative. They don't see the need to go out and get a job. They want to be making $17 an hour straight off the bat. They want to be having the nice cars like we have, but they don't realize I'm 42 years of age. I've gone a long way to get to where I'm at right now. People want my house. They want my swimming pool. They want everything I have, but they don't realize the price that I've paid to get to that place. I didn't just wake up and it happened. I had to work hard for that, and I'm still working hard for that. But a lot of people don't have initiative. You know what I think initiative is? Doing things without being told. Just have an initiative. You can walk in the church and say, man, I cannot believe. Who was supposed to clean this church? Look at the dirt. Look at the papers all there. You can have initiative and say, hey, I can pick up that paper and I can do my part. Have an initiative is so powerful. Have an initiative is this, seeing a need and filling it. Well, who's supposed to be on the door? I don't know, but I'm here till someone gets here. And if they never show up, praise God, hallelujah. I'm, I'm here, I'm a leader, I'm here to serve. I'm here to plug a gap. I'm here to use initiative. It's not about, oh, I'm supposed to be at the front. I'm supposed to be here. No, I'm here to serve. What capacity do you need? Initiative sees a need and it plugs the gap. Here's number six. Are you ready? Inviting. I've got to be inviting. What does that mean? I want people to want to be around me. I want to be welcoming. There's nothing worse than, hey, welcome to our church. I pray you have a great, wow, yeah, right. I mean, who wants to be around? Hey, what's going on? How's your week been? So great to see you. It don't have to be fake, just real. Come on, you don't have to be fake, you just have to be real. Inviting him, welcoming, have a smile on your face, kindness. What do they say about a phone? When you call people or you talk to people, you should always smile when you talk to them because that is expressed through the phone. We need to have a smile on our face. We need to not look like we bathed in pickle juice before we came to church. But it's not only the smile, it's not only our kindness, it's also our tones, it's also our body language. What's your body language? Things can speak so much. We, we, we laugh about this a lot. But, you know, in couples and in relationships and just everything like that, you've got to watch because, ladies, if you would remember the last disagreement you have with your husband, if you were wondering why he feels so deflated and he feels so retracted from you, go in the bathroom and stand in front of the mirror and reenact how you responded. And what you're going to see is this. The first thing you're going to do, you're going to get that finger out and you're going to start doing this. Then you're going to start shaking things. Then you're going to put your hands on your hip. Your face is going to turn sour and you're going to scour and you're going to look. Listen, if any guy does that, if any guy puts his finger in my face, come on, we're, we're, it's on, it's on, it's on. If someone bows up to me, oh, but I'm not, I'm just, you're bowing up. And then they react and they move. You've got to watch your body language. You've got to watch the way. It's not just what you say, but it's how you say it. It's the body language and that which you are conveying with that. So we've got to be welcoming. We've got to have body language. Are you ready? Number seven, intelligence. Intelligence. You know what intelligence is? Not having all the answers, but finding all the answers. One of the greatest signs of intelligence, they said, is to be able to ask questions. If you ask questions, that means what? You need to know answers. You don't know everything. We think intelligence is knowing everything. Come on now, help me out. We think intelligence is having the answers to everything, but real intelligence is this not knowing all the answers, but finding all the answers. Because if I'm going to be a leader and I'm going to have intelligence, I need to be constantly growing. What are you reading? What are you studying? What are you putting into your life? You've got to be sitting at the feet of others. Our leaders are readers. You've got to read. You've got to study. You've got to get in the Word. You've got to not only be in the Word, but read other things. But I will say this. Be careful when you read other books for two reasons. Number one, watch what you're reading because everything is not biblical even though it says it is, okay? So be wise with that. If you've got any questions with it and you've kind of got a wrong thing in your spirit, don't fight through it. Put it to the side and say, let me find something else. Or ask your pastor, pastor, what do you think? Is there something that you think I should read? Is there something that you think I should do? But secondly, also remember this, that it's no substitute to the word of God you've only got five minutes to read, you'd be a lot better off reading God's Word, the greatest leadership book in the face of this earth, than a John Maxwell book of how to be the standout guy. John Maxwell's awesome. He's got some great stuff, but there's no one better than the author of it all, Jesus Christ. So read the Word, but be constantly growing. Never arrive, but be ever arriving. Okay? Intelligence is never arriving, but it's never having arrived, but it's always arriving. And just remember that with that, okay? Number, next one. <laughs> <laughs> Interaction. 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 Could be similar to investment, but it's a little bit different. Being a part of other people's lives, interacting with people. Um, just just, just kind of being real with people and, and just loving on people a little bit. One thing that, that I always think amazes me And I think, talking to Felipe, some of the cultures of churches around here can be very much that church leadership and pastoral are out of reach and they're untouchable. And Jesus, the greatest leader of all, was touchable to everyone. A lady who was unclean pushed through in the crowd, remember we talked about that, and touched Jesus. We should never position ourselves out of reach because if we position ourselves out of reach, we can never bring them to Christ. We can never lead them. We can never show them Christ. So I always want interaction. There's times when we can't be everything to everyone, but as much as we can, um, I, I don't like and again, I'm not trying to knock anyone. I'm just speaking from my own experiences and my own convictions, what God has done for me. I I don't come into service after service has started and make a grandstand and come in a side door. I don't have security. People surround me and don't let people near me. We have security and we have people on hand because the protection of people is vitally important, especially my family. We're changing all our security in the way we do operations in our church. And one of the things that we're going to change is we're going to have someone that their responsibility every Sunday is, gonna to be to stay around myself and my wife, but not so close and not pushing people away. But if there is ever a need that we can make a contact and they can be protected, especially with my wife and my children, because there are some crazies out there. Some crazy people and we we, we aren't thinking we're better than everyone else but we are a target of the enemy so we've got to have wisdom in those kind of things. But you know what I always do I make it a conscious. One thing I do with our band We have a side door where our band can come in and they could come straight up onto the platform. I told them, you don't use that door. You use the back door because when you come up to the platform, you walk through the crowd. You walk through the people on the way up because I want you to interact with people. Hey, what's going on? I want you to this because they are leading from a position of not can't touch this. They're leading from a position of you can touch this. I'm just like you. I'm no different to you. I'm just in a position. So that's so important, I think, when we carry ourselves with a leader to interact with other people, to have fun with people. And it's amazing how people want your response. They want your attention and how much it means to them. But what you also do is you create the culture Where if you don't have time to interact with people in the right way, that they don't feel that you don't care about them, you just got to let them know. Like I have a lot of people that beeline to me at the end of the service and I have to say to them, listen, I'd love to spend more time with you. Call Miss Nancy, let's set up an appointment because I don't have 30 minutes right now because I have 5, 10 people that want to talk to me right now and I can't focus all my time on you right now but what your needs are, and they're important. If you need prayer, we've got a prayer team, a pastoral care team. They'd love to pray with you. I pray with people after church, but I try not to get in a counseling situation after church. For one thing, I'm exhausted and I'm tired. But more than that, there's other people that need my interaction. They need my, hey, how you doing? What's going on in your life? Have a great week. You're awesome. They just need that. So don't ever get to the place, can't touch this. Hate that. Hate that in churches. We don't need the secret police around us. Amen. In fact, if you're trying to get the secret police around you, then maybe you're doing something wrong out of the church and you need protection because of that. Just saying, just saying. And last but not least, are you ready? Impactful. We've got to be impactful. Making an impact in people's life. I pray this over my life every day. Um, I pray every day. And I now pray over my kids every day. God's really led me to pray this over my kids. We came up with something in our church that we heard a message, but we adapted it to fit our church. We've got what we've called a parent's prayer that we gave out to every parent in our church that we say, pray this over your kids every day. We pray that there would be a light and darkness. We've got scripture for that. We pray that there would be a leader and not a follower. We pray that they would always do what's right even when no one's looking. We pray that they would always say no to temptation and be strong in temptation and we pray that God's protection would be upon them. Five key areas that we pray over our kids every day. When I take my kids to school, I pray that over them. If they're not in the car with me, because I don't take all my kids to school, because some of my kids are in college and they drive themselves to school now. So what we do is, with my two younger kids, we pray for all of them, and we pray that prayer over their lives every day and go through God that we'd be a light in darkness, that we would be leaders and not followers, that we would always do what's right, even when no one's looking, that God, even with temptation, you'd help us to be strong in that God and protect us and then here's how I always finish the prayer God I pray today that you will help us to impact a life and to make a difference in someone's world today that by the time they lay their head on their pillow at night they'll be thankful that they came in contact with us and I pray that over my kids and I want them to feel that I also tell my kids another great thing to tell my kids always tell them never be ashamed of who you are never be ashamed of who you are But I just really challenge you with that, to be impactful. What does it mean to be impactful? Look always to build people. As I said last night, Jesus touched more people by accident, on purpose. Sometimes we can have our lives so driven by purpose to find that one person that we miss the five people on the way to that one person. So anywhere we go, I look to make a difference in people's life. I want someone to lay their head on their pillow at night and say, I'm so glad I met Pastor P today. Not because he's a really cool guy. Because he had something to deposit and give into my life. He had something to impact into my life. Being impactful means giving people hope. A lot of hopeless people. Being impactful means being an encourager. Come on, being a cheerleader, cheering people on. Come on, ladies, you were good at this. You're better at this than us. You were cheerleaders at school. You cheered people on. Ra rah, rah. You love that. That's just in your nature to be that encouraging thing. And it's amazing to me that we see almost in dating, if we go to a marriage kind of mix right now, most of you, if not all of you, are married here. So we see this, that when we were dating, ladies were cheering on our husbands and they're going to be the best they are and they're going to be everything. Suddenly that kind of changes when we get married. We're no longer supporting them and cheering them anymore. We need to make sure we're always cheering each other on, always encouraging and doing those kind of things. So that's what I think carrying yourself like a leader looks like. I think it has an insight, have an investment, not being governed by insecurities. That was the bonus one we threw in there. Having a life of intercession, having an initiative in our life. You can't really teach that, but you can nurture that. It can grow that okay, seeing a need, filling it, being inviting, what can I do, welcoming people, loving people, having an intelligence that never arriving, but constantly, or never having arrived, but constantly arriving at that, and also just having an interaction, being a part of other people's lives, not can't touch this, but you can touch this, being impactful and looking to build people and give them encouragement. Has anyone got any questions or any points or just anything that you would like to throw out or ask in what we um, have talked about there that may help you in just anything today. Anyone? Yes.
3: I guess my struggle is constantly, um, you know, and, and you shared this a little bit earlier, you have your family and that's so important. We also have a, a large family, not six, but four. And, um, you know, I have a job where I'm, you know, have the needs of a lot of people, we both have jobs, just like you. I'm not, I'm not saying anything new. Um, but knowing when it's right to say... Or just knowing when you're not giving enough. You know, always feeling guilty about having spare time and not saying, who can I give this time to? You know, those times when you have spare time and, and deciding, I want to take this time for myself or I want to take this time for my husband or I want to take this time for my kids... Um, even though there are other people who need your time. Cool. awesome,
0: awesome question. Let me just answer that, and then we'll talk about that. Um, I, I shared this on Sunday morning in one of my messages that I was preaching. I can't remember the exact point, but it was along those times about time and time management. And one of the things that I said in my message was, if you were to ask my wife, this is probably still one of the greatest struggles that I still have in my life. And one of the biggest things that she... Um, always is pointing out to me and saying, you know, you need to make more time. It's not that I don't make time for my family, but it's something I still need to do a better job at. So here's what I'll say to you is we're we're all a work in progress in this because there's always something else I can do. If I'm going to leave at 2.30 and I've got everything done for my day off my to-do list, there's always five other things that I can do even while I'm walking out of the church. There's always more things I can find to do. But I think what really helps us with that, and um, you're going to find that in the Axiom book, is you've got to have almost a close for the day and maybe even a close for the month so that you know that at a certain time each day, bam, you've closed, whether it's you meet a friend at a coffee shop at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and bam, that's your close, and then you separate or just however. I think if you set goals or targets for yourself and then stick by those, it really helps you instead of just saying, well, let me see how much I can do. Set goals and and do things that you can start prioritizing your time wisely. Again, the challenge as a parent is always you feel guilty um, for um, you're busy outside of the home, you're busy with your kids, and then when you do have some free time, you almost feel guilty for having that to yourself. But you've got to have time for yourself, and you've got to have time for your spouse. You've got to fit all those things in because if you don't have time for yourself, you'll resent your kids. You'll resent your spouse. You'll resent your work because you'll feel cheated because you're not getting anything from it. So just as important as your time at work and your time with your family is also your time. Jesus had really his family with the disciples and his work was doing the ministry of God, but he had time for himself where he spent time alone to pray. And for some of you, that time of prayer may be at the mall. (laughs) For some of you, that may be out fishing. For some of you, it may be golfing. For some of you, it may be just taking a walk. That's your time away where you can invest in your life and you can build your life. But it's very important that you set those goals. And again, if you don't meet those goals, there's always another day. It's not the end of the world. Your world's not going to come crashing down. And don't be defeated because you didn't make that. There's just another opportunity tomorrow. And, and, and then look and say, well, I guess I put too much on myself today, so I'm maybe expecting too much. So just kind of pull back a little bit and find that zone and find that place. And we're all struggling with that. We're all doing. A new baby really changed my life. Because I, my wife needs more help, she needs my support. It's not so easy to bundle him up. Not that we really have to bundle him up in Louisiana; it was still eighty degrees when I left. But just to you know, to get them up and to take them and to go and pick up the kids from school. So what I've been doing is I've been leaving the office at two thirty most days and picking up my kids and bringing them home, so she doesn't have to leave the house. Two things are happening: number one, it's great for her; number two, I get home early. But you see, I'm in the office at 7.30 every morning, so if I'm leaving at 2.30, I've already done a good day. But it, it doesn't really stop, though, does it? Because I'm there on a Wednesday till 9 o'clock. We have a leaders' meeting or a men's night. for what? So we, we, we do our time. We do as pastors a lot more than our, our time allotted. But yeah, just really try to prioritize those times because, as I said earlier, if you don't fight for your family and don't fight for those times, the world's going to steal it from you. And you've got to learn to say no to people too. You've even got to know, learn to say no to your kids. You can only do one sport right now. You can't, be, you can't be doing three sports. We can't be doing practices every night. We can't be doing this and we can't be doing... We don't have the funds right now. You've got to teach them. Why? Because if you don't say no to your kids when they get married and their husband says no, it's going to cause problems. Yeah. So, you're training them for the future and stuff too. You see, when the wife says no, it's, you're just showing them that there are limitations. There's only so much. If you look at your life, here's a good way to look at your life. Are you ready? If you look at your life like a, piece of, like a pizza. Uh huh. Am I speaking anyone's language? So, if you look at your life as a pizza, guess what? There's only so many slices. Huh? So if you're, given, if you're given your time to work, and that's taking a couple of slices, and you're doing this, and you're doing this, and that, you can't give out of yourself what you don't have. So you've got to look at your life realistically and say this. And one thing I'll say to you, and please don't get me wrong when I say this, okay? Watch that you don't bankrupt yourself out of your home. Watch that you don't give so much at work that by the time you get home, you have nothing left to give. Now I didn't say don't be a hard worker because you be a hard worker and you do your best, but you don't give everything. That when you come home, you say to the kids, "No, don't get in the other room. I don't want to touch. I've taught, I, I can't. You cannot bankrupt yourself so much out of the home that you have nothing to give in the home. Pace yourself, because at the end of the day, your no, number one important thing in your life is your family. Your number one ministry is your family, and your family is your ministry. So if you are bankrupt outside of the home and you have nothing to give them, if you've got nothing to give them, then uh, God only knows where you're going to be. God only knows where you're going to be. Now, we're blessed in the fact my wife stays at home. She has a, a, more of a full-time job than me with six kids. And I'm glad I get to leave the home because I have it easy. Come on, it's easy for me. But what I'm saying is we have the luxury of that that a lot of people don't. So what do we do? We have to work together. You know, we, we can't just come home and expect the food to be cooked. We maybe have to help as a husband to cook or to take the kids or to do the homeworks. We work together. Uh, and I think the, the family unit has kind of shifted in how it looks lately because of that, because of time management. And if, if a mother can stay at home, praise God, that is awesome. But most times they can't. So guess what? If she can't stay at home, you can't as a husband come home and expect her to do everything. And you just sit there with your feet up and read the newspaper or watch ESPN. You've got to work together. Work together. Kelly, Kelly, I often laugh at Kelly. Kelly gets mad at me when I fall asleep on her at night. Thank you. She gets mad at me. <laughs> When I fall asleep on her at night. And, and here's, here's why she gets mad at me when she falls asleep at night. Because when the last kid is in bed and asleep, then that's her time to unwind. And even if it's just watching the TV or going through Facebook or whatever she's doing, she wants me to be interactive and she wants me to be there with her. And a lot of the time, that's about 9.30 in our house. Well, if you're up at 5.50 in the morning, that's a long day with everything in between. By the time you're laying in your bed at 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock. Okay, knowing that you've got a busy next day and you've got a busy weekend coming up. So so she'll get mad at me for that. And I realized that. But again, we've come to an understanding. She's not going to expect me to stay up to one o'clock and she doesn't. But quality time together. I need to give her face time. A guy likes shoulder time. He likes you to sit beside him. He feels energized. A lady wants FaceTime. If you go into a cafe, there's a reason they have small little tables. Why? Because if you go in there and look at ladies, what are they doing? They're sitting around the table all in each other's face, just talking, talking. Ladies like FaceTime. Like that. But if you go into a cafe and you see a group of guys around a the table, they're not sitting hunched around. What are they? Their chairs are pushed back, their legs are kicked out because they're not into the face time, but their shoulder time. It's their interaction. So listen to this. I realize my wife needs FaceTime. Here's the first thing I do. Every time I come home, I make a beeline through all my kids and everyone and find my wife first. of the time I find my wife first and I find her and I give her a kiss and I tell her I love her and say, how has your day been? Because I've realized this, it's not the quantity of my time, it's the quality of my time. So if I'm giving that to her right from the bat, that's so important to her. Then I kiss my little boy who's usually somewhere in the vicinity around her. And then I find Molly and I find Luke and I find the others and I find all them and then I interact, but she always gets the first response from me. 90% 90% of the time. And then again at night, she just wants to talk. She wants to get yeah, She hasn't had meaningful conversation with a one-year-old all day. She's wanting to talk. She's wanting to interact. So she doesn't want me to be watching the TV while she's talking. She wants me to be watching her while I'm talking. And again, it's not quantity, it's quality. And when I give her that, she breathes and thrives on that. So that's awesome. So again, it's a challenge that we're all going to have. But don't feel guilty for taking time for yourself. But one thing you need to feel guilty for is if you're coming home bankrupt. You need to feel guilty for that. And you need to make changes right now. Because if you're not going to invest into your kids, the world will. TV will. Gaming systems will. And all those things are great. And and our, our kids have them all. They've got iPads. They've got PlayStations. They've got all these kind of things. But they are no substitute to time and love and spending that with each other and do that. We just did a family challenge. We did a whole month, and we did a family challenge. We gave everyone a sheet of 30 different things for them to do throughout a month, and one of the things we talked about is have a meal together and turn all the cell phones off. Have a movie night where there's no cell phones and no interaction. Just really encouraging families and stuff to do things. Take a bike ride. Go out and walk together. Talk about your day. Have open discussion. Have a popcorn night. Have this and that. Go to Sonic and buy drinks at the happy hour and then take a selfie and post it, you know? And we had a we had an HFLC family hashtag where people posted all their selfies and their pictures and stuff. Just it's so important to do those things. Good question. Anyone else? Yes, sweetheart. Is this okay? Yeah.
2: Pastor, I want to just make a comment and then ask a question. I want to thank you for depositing into my life. You hit areas that are very, very close to my heart as far as quality time. My husband, I've been blessed with, does work very hard, and it is hard for him to have extra time. And sometimes I don't understand it, but I uh, try to deal with it and to have everything ready for him when he comes home. He, We are empty nesters, so we don't worry about the children here and there at home. But... Outside of the nest, we do worry about our children. Some are independent. Some are very dependent. And my question to you is that um, how can I break or how can we break that safety net? Oh, we could always come to mom and dad. You know, they got us, like the lawn analogy. And still be approachable because people can tend to say, oh, you said no. Oh, well, later for you. Um, I'm having a hard th- I personally am having a hard time with that. But we're trying to work through those issues because we are a blended family. And as such, you know, we are, you know, sometimes on different um, sheets of paper. Okay. Different. Cool. So if you could help me with yeah, that. Definitely,
0: definitely. Kelly and I are a blended family too. Kelly um, had three children. She was widowed. I was divorced with two children. We have one together. That's our six. It's our family and it's my family. But yeah, there are challenges with a blended family, just like there are with a family. The first thing I would always say of this, when it comes to children, the first point of call is not what do we do with our children, it's what do we do together as a husband and wife. That's the first thing that you've always got to look at. You've got to come to a common ground because your children will work you against each other. So you've got to have an understanding that there's times where you've got to give and take. Your husband may feel more strongly about this than what you do at times, but you've got to come to an agreement where you don't say and you don't throw the other one under the bus and say, well, your dad says you're going to have to do this. It's not your dad and your mum. It's us. It's us. So it's so important, first and foremost, that you have that together and you've got to develop that. And that's not something that we arrive at either. We've got to be constantly arriving at that. Because it's not like we can write all these lists and rules. We can to a certain extent, but there's always going to be new things that's coming up. And that's why, hey, I need to talk to your dad about that. Or I need to talk to your mom about that. And we'll decide what's best for you. So first and foremost, coming together. Secondly, what I would say about your kids is this. If we just teach our kids no, we're doing them an injustice. We've got to teach them why we say no. So if you're just saying to your kids, no, we're not going to do this and leaving it at that, then they're going to be resentful for that. But I think if you explain it to them, it's not going to make them happy, but they're going to have an understanding of why you have made that decision. And I think what you do in situations and circumstances, you say, listen, it's not of your best interest, even though you think it is for us to bail you out. 'Cause if we bail you out you're never learning from your mistakes. And we don't want to see you suffer, but at the end of the day we can't live your life. What happens when we're gone? Who are you going to turn to then? You've got to you've got to be the anchors, you've got to start getting it right because your kids are going to start coming to you and then if then they can't come to you and then to us. So what I would say, even at any age, start teaching them the wise. We teach our kids a lot, not perfect parents, but we don't tell our kids don't do drugs. Okay, we tell them don't do drugs because. We don't say to our kids, don't smoke. We say, don't smoke because. We don't say to our kids, don't lie. We say, don't lie because. We try to give them the why to the no, because if it's just a no, someone else is going to have a why, it can be a yes. Come on, think about that. So if it's just just a no, someone else is going to say, well, your parents are not here. The no is not here, so then you can have a yes. But if you're teaching them a why, And even though they don't like that, but most of the time, if not all of the time, you can find the why from the word of God. And it's scriptural and it's proof right there. So again, they can be upset and mad at you. But hey, as children of God, we live by the law of God. We live by the word of God. We live by the guidelines of God. So therefore, for us to do this, it's not being godly parents. We're crippling you. We're hurting you. And here's why. So we have to say no. You may have to go out. Hey, I've had people come to me, many parents come to me and said, the worst mistake I ever made was to bail my kid out of jail the first night they were in there. I should have left his sorry butt in there for a week because then he would have maybe learned his lesson. That motherly instinct, that parently thing is wanting to protect, but you've got to step back and say, am I really protecting or am I enabling? And many times our enabling can be a prevention, not a protection. It can prevent them from getting that encounter with God or that really reality check that they need in their lives. So again, we can't ever be afraid to say no. And we've got to teach our kids this. Even in our prayer life, we've got to remind ourselves that no is just as much an answer as yes. When we say, well, God never answered me, well, if he hadn't answered you, it's probably no. And that's just as much an answer as yes. And sometimes the greatest answers to my questions are No. Because it makes me realize I've got to take responsibility for my life and I've got to do. And that's what we've got to do as parents. Our responsibility is to raise our kids. So what? So they can live on their own and be independent. A lot of parents, again, through insecurities, raise their kids to be totally dependent upon them. We've got a 21-year-old in the house. We've got to cuddle her a little bit more slack than the 17-year-old because we want her to learn independence. But then if she's making the wrong decisions, we're still talking about it and and we're, we're challenging her on that. But we're trying to make them make those decisions. So I hope that helps. I know I talked about it. But it's not like a definitive thing. You do this, this, and this. But I think what you do is first and foremost, you've got to be in perfect agreement as husband and wife and be a unit together. Because kids will work against you. And then secondly, teach them the why to the no. And that will hopefully help with that too. Great question. Anyone else? How much time have we got in this session? We're done? Okay. Okay. Hey, if it's 12.15, can I give you something really quick? Can I give you something? Since you brought up and we've talked a lot about marriage and family because it's so key. Um, because when everything's right at home, I'm more effective as a pastor and a leader. When when my home is in order, I feel more energized and I feel more... So let me give you five essential truths, okay? Five essential truths for your marriage and family. Ready? Five essentials that's going to help your marriage and family. Number one, you've got to have genuine faith. If you want your marriage to be blessed, your family to be blessed, your ministry to be blessed you've got to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It all begins and ends with relationship. A lot of people are going through the motions. They're acting the role on Sunday. They're dating God. If we date God and we're not in a genuine faith relationship with him, we're missing a help and a strength and a direction that he wants to be in each one of our lives. Okay? So you've got to have that. How does that play out in your marriage? You're going to be a different spouse if you're in a relationship with God. Come on, you're going to act different to each other if your relationship is right with God. Everything revolves around your spiritual thermometer. Where you are with God determines where you are with your spouse and where you are with your kids. And if that's not right, you've got to put that right, okay? We can see in Psalms one, jot that scripture down. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not, but he is planted. He is what? He is established in God. And what does it say? That his tree will flourish, he'll grow, and he'll thrive. What? Through relationship. Not being in relationship with people, but in relationship with God. Is that cool? Number two, you ready? Guarded schedules. Guard your schedule, guard your time. Make time and refuse to get too busy. And this is the thing that I was telling you, that one of the things that my wife would say, that things that we're still working through is one of these things, just being transparent with you. Okay, we have a busy life, six kids, schedules running a church, plenty always had to do. We've had to learn how to say no and prioritize. And again, no one's gonna fight for your family like you, okay? Make time for each other. As a husband and wife, have date nights. Kelly and I often have a date night. We go out. Mom and dad are now on staff with us. They've been living with us. They take our kids and watch our kids. So important to have a date night. You don't have to go out to have a date night. Some people in our church, they pop popcorn, they shut the door, they go away, and they watch Netflix, movies. Just have a time together. Make time for each other. Let the kids know if you are in the house that you're not to be disturbed unless there's blood, Huh? huh. But even still, if it's, if it's something they can patch with duct tape or band-aids, then just take care of that and we'll deal with that later, you know? But hey, listen, I'm telling you, prioritise time. How does that look in my family? I'm not buying my kids, I'm giving them me. I'm not substituting me with other things. Uh, I'm giving them me. So prioritize each other. Have time together. Turn the cell phones off. You know that they say an average father spends less than seven minutes a day with his kids? An average father spends less than seven minutes a day with his kids. That means the average father spends less than an hour a week with his children. And there's even a more alarming stat than that. And that is this. If that child or those children are below a preschool age, the average father interacts with these children 37 seconds a day. Wow. Wow. We've got to get it right. We wonder why we're losing our kids. We've got to guard our schedules. Don't make time for everything else. And then they have to plead for your time. Number three, you've got to know your purpose. You've got to know your purpose. Your purpose is not to be good at everything. Did you hear me? Your purpose is not to do everything good. In fact, you're going to look at your life and there's probably going to be a couple of things that you're going to do really well. But i found this. When you find your purpose, you find your niche, you find your call in life, everyone else is going to be happy because you're not living frustrated. And you know how you find your purpose? Through relationship. It all starts with genuine faith. So you've got to have that genuine faith. Find out who you are in God. Find out what your role is, okay? In marriage, that creates a good environment with your children. Proverbs 22, verse 6, train them up in the way they should go. What does that mean? Help them discover their purpose, what you see in them. Build them, you know, help them. And one thing I will say, parents, are you ready? Don't live your life through them. I wasn't able to be a cheerleader, so you're going to be a cheerleader. I wasn't able to play football. So you're going to play football. Don't do that. Don't force onto your kids what you weren't able to do. Support them in what God has called them to be. And embrace that and, and, and to see that. Is that cool? Is that good? Where's, where are we at? Number four. Okay, have right relationships. Have right relationships. This is really key. <coughs> you are going to be the sum total of the people you hang around with. Okay? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Huh? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Okay. The best decisions you will ever make in life are your relationship decisions. If you're married, you can't hang around with all single people. Come on. It just doesn't work like that because they're going to look at your husband or wife as your ball and chain. Oh, you've got to check up on them. You don't have the same freedoms and liberties as they do. And that was your choice. Come on, you can't live how you want and do what you want. You've got to guard your relationships, okay? So you've got to watch that. Going around the wrong crowd. There's three types of people in your life. There's those that will build your life, those who are neutral in life, and those who will drain your life, okay? Those who will build your life, those who are neutral in your life, and those who will drain your life. If you're around people who drain you more than build you, guess what? You're going to be sucked dry. And even around the neutral people, there's neutral friends that you can just kind of hang out with and you just interact with. You've got to watch too because neutral friends are not really energizing you or building you and you're going to burn out with them too. So you've got to watch the circle of friendships that you keep around you. How does that look with my kids? Sometimes, hey, you don't hang out with them. Come on, I've got to be involved in my kids' life to know who they're talking to, who they're interacting, who's on the other side of a phone. Because I may not see their face, but I can see who they are through their text. And it's up to me to know the type of people that my kids are hanging around with. I can't turn a blind eye. That is my responsibility. As parents, Kelly and I don't allow our kids to stay at anyone's house where we don't personally know the parents'. How do you say that to your 21 rule? Do you all say, if you're still living under our roof, it's still our rules. And if you don't like that, hey, I'll, I'll find an ad finder for an apartment, and you can go out and get your own apartment. I'm telling you. As for me and my house, this is one thing we tell our kids. Thank God for my house. I don't have to wake my kids up on a Sunday morning. Brittany, 21 years of age, she sings on our worship team. Maddie, 19 years of age, she plays the drums. Um, Incidentally, she started playing the drums here when we came to visit. Stefan taught her right here on these drums here. And Hannah, 17 years of age, she's um, on our worship team. Molly, who's 13, she's up early with me. She's doing whatever's needed. She's now going to start be a worker in our children's ministry and helping. We have two services, so my kids are there for two services. We teach them worship and serve. You're in one service, and you serve in the second service. My kids, Hannah's on the worship team, she's in the nursery. Brittany's on the worship team, they're in the nursery, they Double duty, they're pulling double shifts. Maddie's on the drums, next service, she's doing the words. We train our kids in those kind of things. We build them up. I don't have to wake them up for church. But I'm telling you this, if I did have to wake them up for church, that would be the morning I would be doing it. I have to wake them up Monday through Friday every day. They don't want to go to school. They don't want to go to college. But they're up every Sunday morning at 6.30. They're doing their hair and getting ready because we start practice at 7.45 on a Sunday morning. So they're at church at 7.45. Have to leave the house just after 7. That's early when they're up to catch a bus at 6.15 most days of the week. And they're up at 5.30. But they don't grumble and they don't complain. But what I'm saying is this. They know that the rule in this house is everyone's going to be in church. If you're going to be in this house, you're going to follow our rules. And if you don't like that, then you go out and make your own rules, but you find your own place to live. Come on, tough love, but you do that. But again, interact with their friends. They don't always see it, but we do. See it for them. Say no for them. You're not going to be with that. You're not going to date that person. You're not going to do that. And again, you don't want to build rebellion so they hide that from you, but you teach that. What Kelly and I have done with our kids is we don't think that's the best person for you. Sometimes we have to let them make that decision, but we watch that. And most of the time they'll come back and say, you were completely right. And now what's happened after a couple of deadbeat guys, they now trust us in what we see in the people. And they ask us before they date people, which is great. Again, not perfect, but we're trying to get there. Number five, are you ready? Yes. Grace, grace. And notice it's more than just grace, it's amazing grace. It's amazing grace. If we want our family and our lives and our ministries and everything, we've got to give grace. Come on, what is grace? not only what we don't deserve, but listen, it's strength to give others what they don't deserve. Come on, grace is not just to me what I don't deserve, but grace is the strength that God wants to give me to give to other people that they don't deserve it. Does my spice always deserve my grace? No, but do they need it? Yes. Come on, do I always deserve grace? No, but do I need it? Yes. Come on, take the weights off each other. Here's just a really cool thing and then I'm gonna close with this. You ready? A son writes this letter to his dad. Are you ready? It says this, dear dad, It's with great regret that I am writing this letter to you. I had to elope with my girlfriend as I wanted to avoid a scene with you and Mum. I've been finding real passion with her, but I knew you would not approve of her because of her body piercings, her tattoos, her tight clothing, and the fact that she is a whole lot older than me. But dad, it's not only passion anymore. She is now pregnant. Stacy said that we're going to be very happy. She has her own trailer in the woods. She has a stack of firewood that promises to keep us warm all winter. And we are sharing the dream of possibly having more children together. Stacy has opened my mind to the fact that marijuana doesn't really hurt. We will be actually growing it for ourselves and for the people in our commune. We will be trading it for all the ecstasy and the cocaine that we want. In the meantime, we are praying that medicine will find a cure for her AIDS so Stacy can get better. But don't worry, Dad. I know I'm only 15, but I know how to take care of myself. Someday, I'm sure we'll be back to visit you so you can get to know your grandchildren. Love your son, John. P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at Tommy's house, and I just wanted to remind you that there are things a lot worse than my report card in the top drawer. (laughs) Come on, someone say grace. Grace. Dear Heavenly Father, be with us. Thank you for everything we share today. And God, help us just to be alive in you, to live in you, just to be everything that you want us to be. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.